OCD fam. What is up, my people? Today is going to be fun because we are talking about a family affair. <laughs> and no, I'm not talking about Mary J. Blige, although I love that song. I love it. Oh my gosh. So I'm going to invite you all to leave your situations at the door and come on in because it's family time. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm Nicole Morris, licensed marriage and family therapist and mental health correspondent. And let me be the first to say, welcome to the family. The OCD family, that is. I am here to create a community of support for family members, spouses, partners, parents, adult children, as there may be adult words, and chosen family of OCD sufferers and their community. I've had over 22 years of experience in the mental health field, but please note that this information does not qualify or substitute as a diagnostic evaluation, therapy, or treatment, and it is presented on an as-is basis. Please follow up with a qualified mental health provider in your area regarding concerns for yourself or loved ones. Thank you for joining us today. Now, let's get started. Okay, seriously, y'all, I love that song. It's like, it's still with me. It's such a sticky song in such a good way. Usually on the podcast here, when we're talking about sticky things with the OCD family community, we're talking about sticky thoughts. And those are no fun. (laughs) They're no fun. But this song is pure fun from the first measure. I mean, I'm probably going to be singing it all day now. And uh, I'm not mad about it. (laughs) I mean, seriously. Oh, it's good. Okay. So now you're like, You said that this isn't actually about Mary J. Blige. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, today is a family affair. And why? Because I'm bringing my family to this family. It's a big old family gathering, y'all. And I'm really excited about it because we are all in this together. And as a house where we get to combat OCD on the regular, I just thought we'd talk about OCD from my family's experience just a bit. So this will be fun and it'll be interesting because anytime you're recording with kids, it's just kind of a crapshoot, right? Like doing anything with kids. (laughs) They could be like laughing and being so sweet and smiling. And I'm like, let me take a picture. This is adorable. And then suddenly they're like, (laughs) not smiling, fighting. He touched me. She said, "Uh." he said, "Uh." I mean, you know, all the things. And then you're like, Give me the smile I wanted to get, please, for the love. And then they give you the smile that looks like they're being tortured. You know, that kind of, like, I don't know, kind of like bug on a windshield type smile. I don't know if that description makes sense, but I feel it. So I'm just going with it. But yeah, my family's going to be here today and it'll be great. Whatever it is, it'll be us. It'll be authentic. So it'll be great. It'll be great. Also today, we're going to be reviewing a little bit as I know we continue to gain new family members by the day. Seriously, by the day. We have continued to just grow and grow. And at this point, our OCD family tree extends over 26 countries. And that's amazing. I'm like so blown away. I really, really am. It's like so humbling and awesome because I'm just this woman sitting in a cornfield here in Indiana. (laughs) Just kidding. Not actually in a cornfield. Well, for this moment. (laughs) But seriously, sometimes I'm sure we all can wonder, what can I do? How can I help? I'm like, I'm one person. And y'all, I'm here to tell you, I'm one person just having some conversations. 
and other people are joining in. And they're saying, hey, it's okay with me if you press record. And now we, we, it's we, it's you and me and all of us, yay, we family have a community that stretches across the world, just making conversation, talking, or, oh, so important, listening, liking and sharing. And so what can one person do? Well, whether you're me or one of my on-air guests or just tuning in from wherever you may be, maybe for the first time or maybe as a regular, you too are one person making a difference because knowledge is power. And having these conversations give life to more conversations. And conversations become advocacy, which then can become policy, which can bring hope to more people everywhere. So thank you from this one person to another for being a part of this OCD family community. Okay, so noting that we are all coming in these conversations from different experiences, different families, different cultures, different levels of awareness regarding what is OCD, what are options for treatment, all that good stuff. We're going to be doing some review. If you're intrigued by what you're hearing and you want to know more, I've got you, okay? There will be references to different episodes that I have published here on the podcast as well as other resources to get some more info about the topics that we're addressing. And I always, always Cite my sources, y'all, at ocdfamilypodcast.com. Each episode has a corresponding blog post where you can get more info on what is discussed during that episode. And so this episode will be no different. And for the family that has been around a minute, hang with us. Because just because it's review doesn't mean we can't pick up something new, even if it is some kid zaniness that really validates our motto, (laughs) We really, really aren't alone. We all deal with things. I'm sure I'll deal with some before this episode's through. Also, another reason reviewing is useful, because it's good to remind ourselves the enemy that we have in common, OCD. And as we prepare to dive into a new series next week on finding unity in diversity, I really, really want us to center on this concept. We are better together. And so part of that requires us having conversations and saying, where is this working well? Yay! Where is treatment available? Yay! Where do we need to improve? Yes. Because even though we're not alone, some folks are. Some folks can't access treatment. Some of us here, even within the OCD family community, we're there. And while we're better together, life isn't an equal playing field. So unity Unity has to be more than lip service. It's more than saying, you're not alone. It's actively listening and going, okay, this isn't fair. And we best be having some conversations about what we can do to make it more fair, to create some change. So we'll be talking about treatment intersectionality in a new series starting next week. But I'll also start the conversation a bit today with my boy, Jack. Seriously, he's my boy, my oldest. Oh. If you're newer to our family gatherings, you know I have a neurodiverse family. I'm proud of it. And he is going to talk just a little bit more about his awesome brain and the challenges he experiences with OCD. So let's do this, yeah? Because I'm excited for the fun, but I'm also really ready for the hope too. 
Okay, so I have my daughter Emma here, and she talked with us once before on the podcast about the all-important game of Candyland. During Season 1, Episode 12's Research Roundup with Dr. Eric Storch. So, Emma, welcome back! I want to talk about Candyland. You do? You remember when we talked about Candyland last time, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Emma, I have a question for you. What? What is family? Um, Mom and Dad. Mommy and Daddy are your family? Yeah. Who else? Um, Grandma and Grandpa. Mm-hmm. And anybody else? Um, Lukey and Jack. Lukey and Jack. Yeah. As a family, do we help each other? Yeah. How do we help each other as a family? Um, with Lukey and Jack to play games. You like to play games? So you help each other have fun? Yeah. Yeah. What happens if you guys get mad at each other, if you disagree? I hit them. What? (laughs) Are you supposed to hit them? Uh, At their faces. No. What happens if you hit somebody's face? Do you get a timeout? Yeah. Yeah, you get a timeout for hitting. Is it okay to be mad at each other? Yeah. Yeah, but is it okay to hit? No. No, that's right. Guess what? What? Did you know, just like we're a family... Did you know that I created a family here from my desk for OCD? Yeah! You did? Wow. What is OCD? Bad. It's bad? Yeah. Why is OCD bad? Um, because it will sink to the bottom of the ocean. OCD is sinking to the bottom of the ocean? Well, we would like to send it there. Guess what? What? You did a great job. Thank you. See you later, everybody. Okay, see you. Love you. Oh, Emma. Sweet little Emmy girl. You know what's funny is she hears about OCD on the regular because we're fighting it, learning about it, getting really good about practicing our five senses reality. We talk about it, and it's not weird or strange. I'd argue more people in our household have it than not. So it's our normal. But even still, she doesn't understand it really. And that's okay. She's young. And unless she's personally struggling with it, she probably wouldn't know much about it yet, even though it's a part of our family culture. And so that begs the question. She's young. Yeah, she sounds pretty young. If you've not heard her before, you're like, girl's young. Yes. So can kids her age really even have OCD? Is that a thing? Yeah, they can. According to the International OCD Foundation, quote, OCD can start at any time from preschool to adulthood, end quote. It goes on further to say that there are two times, really, in which OCD tends to first appear, as we can see in the data, and those times are between 8 and 12, roughly, and between the later teen years to, say, early adulthood. So yes, as it happens, it can happen even for preschoolers, for kiddos five and under. In rare cases, symptoms can also develop seemingly overnight. These are rare cases, but in the event that one day you go to bed 
And the next morning, your sweet little child wake up completely crippled by this anxiety. This can be a signal of a subtype, really, of pediatric OCD, where an infection like strep throat or even sometimes autoimmune responses, yeah, that can happen too. It's more rare, but for my pans and pandas crowd out there, you know, it's not so rare. And so whether your OCD was slow to grow or showed up overnight as a very unwelcome squatter, you're not alone. So that begs the question, what is OCD then? What is it exactly? Well, the International OCD Foundation did such a great job of serving us up some facts before. Let's lean into how they define OCD. Quote, obsessive compulsive disorder is a mental health disorder that affects people of all ages and walks of life. And it occurs when a person gets caught in a cycle, cycle, cycle of obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts, images, or urges that trigger intensely distressing feelings. Compulsions are behaviors an individual engages in to attempt to get rid of the obsessions and or decrease distress, end quote. In order for a diagnosis of OCD to be made, quote, this cycle of obsessions and compulsions must be so extreme that it consumes a lot of time, like more than an hour a day at least, causing intense distress or getting in the way of important activities that the person values, end quote. So for more information on what is OCD, you can hit up IOCDF.org, which is the International OCD Foundation's website. I also talk quite a bit about the psychoed in the first couple episodes and peppered continually throughout this podcast, too. So you can check those out if you need more info. But I will say, let the record show, drumroll. When I started this podcast just a few mere months ago, which is crazy to think, but true. Much of my content leans into exposure and response prevention, which is the gold standard treatment, particularly here in the U.S., for treating OCD. You will hear folks, myself included, also refer to this treatment as ERP. And y'all, I stand by ERP. ERP is great. It's an evidence-based practice. It's successful. It treats OCD. And a lot of people have felt freedom that they feared didn't exist from OCD through this treatment model. I love it. And it's evidence-based. Evidence-based treatment matters, and I talk about that quite a bit around here too. Because when it comes to OCD, this disorder has already robbed people of enough of their time and their mental real estate. So we don't want to waste any more time with any treatment, quote unquote, that doesn't have reliable, valid evidence that this stuff works. If such and such thing worked for my brother's sister's mother, which I guess at this point would just be my mother too, right? (laughs) Well, that's, that's great. Way to go, mom. (laughs) And at the same time that something new was tried, improvement was noted. But that doesn't mean that one caused the effect on the other. Even if they happened at the same time? Yes, even if they happened at the same time. So when is it cause and effect? Well, unfortunately, that answer isn't so simple. Time is one of many factors that we need to take into account when we're looking at Does this thing work? Whatever that thing may be. And while things co-occurring during the same time window, sure, can evidence a cause and effect relationship. 
in certain circumstances. There can also be absolutely no relationship between the two. Because the only thing these uh, parties had in common were they happened to occur during the same time frame. So time in and of itself, it's not a reliable measure on its own. Let me give you an example. I really like to drink bubble water or agua con gas, as some may call it. I don't drink soda, but I like a little effervescence in my life, you know, and bubble water is my jam. Now, let's say every time I drink bubble water, I feel sleepy, like real sleepy, like (sighs) can't keep my eyes open sleepy. Does that mean the bubble water makes me sleepy? Just because they're happening at the same time doesn't mean there's any relationship between the two. But what if I track like a 10-day chart of when I feel most tired? And wouldn't you know, I was. I was drinking bubble water during most, if not all, of those times. Now, does that make the relationship more significant, more meaningful, more evident? No. Because it still doesn't prove that I'm tired because I'm drinking bubble water. And it doesn't take into account all the other things that could be happening. Like maybe I'm uh, in go, go, go mode so much that the moments when I actually sit down to drink some water, I realize how tired I am. I mean, it's possible. (laughs) And the reality is there are more possibilities in that scenario than I could even imagine at the moment. So while I'm cheering on, incidentally, my own mother, (laughs) that she tried the thing and it quote unquote worked for her, that doesn't mean that that thing can and will work again for even her, for me, or all y'all. So that's where evidence-based practices become very, very important. And ERP is a great evidence-based practice. So you'll hear a lot of ERP goodness baked into my content fresh from the start. Oh, yeah. And you guys, I'm psyched to say I've also been learning now about ICBT. ICBT is another evidence-based approach that really emphasizes the here and now five senses, common sense, reality. So now I'm going to give a snapshot of both ERP and ICBT. This won't do either of these models justice, y'all. So I'm just giving some shout outs for both models. And then I'm going to let you know where you can go and learn a whole lot more. So within the model of ERP, exposure and response prevention, OCD is conceptualized as a cycle that is repeated over and over and over, and over. You get the idea. Imagine a clock. You start at 12. We've got these intrusive thoughts, as ERP would label them, obsessions. We have that really bad thought. What if I hit somebody, for example? And then there's a lot of meaning attached because how could I do that? That would be awful if I hit somebody. Oh my word. And that takes us to three o'clock. Distress, anxiety, Ooh, does not feel good. 10 out of 10, do not recommend. Which leads us down to six o'clock where we find compulsions. Now compulsions, I think media, movies kind of show compulsions as just hand washing or checking locks or crossing through thresholds, which certainly compulsions can be. 
But compulsions are actually anything, anything, people, whether it's an action, whether it's a thought, but anything to help alleviate said distress from the all-important meaning attached to such an intrusive thought. Now, compulsions might bring some very, very temporary, very slight, short-term relief. Like, I thought I hit somebody. I turned around. I'm looking back. I don't see a body. Maybe I didn't hit them. But from this model, what we're learning, what the brain is learning, actually, is that when we engage in those compulsions, it negatively reinforces those sticky, intrusive thoughts. So I looked back, maybe got a little bit relief. But the act of looking back, did I hit somebody? reinforces that I maybe did, could have, don't remember hitting someone. And that thought now is getting real, real. Rinse, lather, and repeat. You got yourself a cycle. So what ERP says, what research says is, hey, here's what we're going to do. Historically, for anxiety disorders within cognitive behavioral therapy at large, which ERP and ICBT are branches of, exposure works beautifully for anxiety disorders. What we learn is even if we are increasing anxiety, if we aren't quote-unquote rescued out of that anxiety during an exposure, that in time, the brain will learn, you know what, I was was freaking out here, but the thing, the bad thing, the uh, terrible thing, it's not happening. Or in the case that it did happen, totally wasn't as much as I built it up to be in my mind. And so the brain starts to habituate over time. And that's for your run-of-the-mill anxiety disorder. And it's great because research shows it works. Do you have a phobia? Let's do some exposure therapy. Do you have some separation anxiety? Is your kiddo having a hard time leaving you to go to school, just wants to be with you all the time? Let's do some exposure therapy. This works great. But within OCD, we have to go a step further. Because while exposure certainly can help, exposure on its own is not enough. Why? Because if you recall around six o'clock or so, we started engaging in those compulsions. And whether they brought relief or no relief at all, they negatively reinforce the entire cycle for us. And so that is where response prevention comes in. Now, what is response prevention? It's hard, y'all. It's hard. Response prevention is hard because this is what response prevention is. It means we are going to resist to the degree that we can engaging in our compulsions during those exposures. Because remember how those compulsions, yeah, they were really negatively reinforcing that cycle, that spiral, that OCD thought loop. So if we don't engage in those compulsions, our brain will have to change. It will have to adapt. There's no compulsion here. What do I do now? From an ERP standpoint, we would say we embrace the uncertainty. And at the same time, which is pretty cool, we get to rewire these faulty alarm sequences happening in the brain where this intrusive thought has so much meaning and it could mean this about me that I need to do this to try and survive the amount of crippling distress. It have that thought come back again. We can rewire that. That's pretty amazing. So that is ERP. Go head on over to our trusty old crew at iocdf.org as they do us a solid again for understanding ERP. And as I said, you will find it very heavily laden into my content because ERP 
here in the U.S. has been the gold standard and it works. And I am a big fan of evidence-based things working. <laughs> Enter inference-based CBT, otherwise referred to at times as inference-based cognitive behavioral therapy if you're really feeling like sharing a mouthful, or ICBT for short. Now, what is ICBT? Oh, you guys, I'm in the process of learning. And so I'll just say to my ICBT folks out there, thank you for the continued support and grace as people trying to learn as I am inevitably flub this up. So I'm going to guide you, OCD family community, to the direct source where you can get a lot more helpful infographics. I mean, who doesn't love a nice graphic? Like, oh, I get it. Okay, see it. But let's talk a little bit about ICBT. So in ERMP, we were referencing intrusive thoughts. In ICBT, the focus is on doubts. Now, you might be like, tomato, tomato, uh, what's the difference? Well, as it turns out, the words really have different definitions when you're looking at these different models. So in ICBT, there's really this obsessional doubt sequence. You see, we have this trigger that triggers an obsessional doubt. Up until then, everything was going fine. The way we were processing, the way we were reasoning, the way we're applying our common sense, five senses reality. But then we hit this obsessional doubt, which is very, very convincing, very, very absorbing. The problem starts at you're driving down the road, not hitting people, and then the doubt, the obsessional doubt, enters the mind. Maybe I did hit somebody. So before we get to, oh my gosh, could have I killed somebody? Am I a monster? How can I deal with this? Oh, I got to look. Is there somebody in the road? I can't believe it. Before any of that ever happens, that doubt came into your mind. Because certainly, if you hit somebody, and they like smash into your windshield, roll off the top of the car, you're screeching to a halt, maybe even your airbags deploy, maybe there's honking around, people are getting out of the car. Oh my gosh, what happened? <laughs> Certainly. Now that's not a word we hear often in the ERP world. That's a reason for concern. Yeah, because if all that's happening, then really the meaning you're taking out of the moment in real time seems pretty accurate. But you don't have all those pieces coming in. What you have is an obsessional doubt that is so absorbing, ICBT specialists say, that it can catapult you from reality of all those things I just said, the honking, the airbag, all the things, to the what-if possibilities. Now, why does this happen? Why do we kind of launch into these spaces, these imaginal what-ifs, other than the fact that we're like completely awesome and creative. <laughs> but why here? Why with this? Like, seriously, what's the deal, yo? Well, ICBT comes from this perspective that it's because the mechanism that really underpins all things OCD is this concept of inferential confusion. Now, inferential confusion, what, what in the world is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. One of the founders of ICBT, Dr. Frederick Ardema, defines inferential confusion as, quote, a confusion between reality and possibility where the person with obsessive compulsive disorder persists in his or her obsessional belief despite sense information to the contrary, end quote. Okay, so what does that mean? What that means is the confusion, which is so real that it feels real, that it is real, isn't it? They're leaving 
all those checks and balances that that common sense, five sense reality gives us. And you are in the land of possibility, y'all. And irregardless of the fact that none of those checks and balances check out that you actually did the thing, that your brain's like, you did the thing, didn't you? You're in the land of the what ifs. So the treatment entails a lot of helping people understand, hey, where did I cross over from this reality sensing that I do oh so well, if I do say so myself, into obsessional doubt? And what's more, why here? Why about this thing? So we already heard that really fancy term, inferential confusion, which now we have a better understanding because we're like, yeah, we broke it down. We're good. We're good. We chewed on it a little bit. But again, like, why do I get inferentially confused here and not here? Why do other people with OCD get inferentially confused there and not there? What's the dealio? In ERP, we say no rhyme or reason. It's just what it is. But in contrast to that, ICBT says, whoa, hold up. Actually, there is a reason. So this mechanism, inferential confusion, as we just discussed, it tends to increase around vulnerable content areas. What if I could be a person that's dangerous? What if I am neglectful? And so, not coincidentally, inferential confusion in the OCD brain can increase around these self-themes where we already are vulnerable. <laughs> and hey, actually, if we figure that out from this direction, I might be able to stop the sequence before it starts. So to find out more information on inference-based CBT or ICBT, check out icbt.online. I love it over there, fam, because they have so many helpful infographics that just make the wordy words I just said much easier to digest. But if you take anything else away from these two models, I hope you take this. We have two, two evidence-based practice power hitters with decades-long research showing that these models don't just work for my brother's sister's mother. They can continue to work for her and for you and for me because there's evidence that is reliable and replicable and proven to work for us. So, hey, that's some good news, right? And while certain folks may jive or prefer one model to another, I'll just say, let's get it percolating while you're waiting, no matter which modality. <laughs> Ooh, it is a Mary J day. So, hey, maybe this family fair is a little bit about our girl Mary. And I'm going to put a link to her video because at this point, the song, I'm just like, I am mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there. And with that, let's check in with my handsome hubs, Patrick, who is working away, and I just managed to slide right in there into his schedule for a brief chat about OCD. Hello. Hello. Zooming in from work. Zooming in from work. That's right. Usually, we are in the studio <laughs> together. <laughs> uh, but yes, you are Zooming in from work. I appreciate you taking the time because we are going to be talking a bit about OCD, kind of an overview for some of our newer family members or just kind of a highlight review session for some of our existing family because we're going to be doing a lot of fun series, a lot of great content this winter and spring. But it's always good to kind of do a little refresher, especially for the people that are, are kind of joining the fam 
at this point in the game so that you have a good understanding of what's going on. So, Patrick is my cool. handsome hubs. Hi. It's really fun to see what other people see when they're doing these. I've never zoomed in and seen it from this perspective. Ooh, that's a great point. I like that point. Yeah, kind of cool. Thank you. First of all, what do you think you have learned most about OCD? Granted, I've been an OCD specialist for a while here, but this podcast, certainly you have been tuning in. He is a faithful listener, y'all. Is he? I'm just like batting my eyelashes. Thank you, babe. And <laughs> so you've learned a lot more content even in the last couple months. So what is something that has been interesting or maybe has even surprised you about learning about OCD? So many things. One of them is, and it really gives me a lot of compassion for people who struggle with this in a very serious way. But for example, one of the things that really blew me away is that OCD can have like magical thoughts for people. Mm -hmm. So like some people will say that, you know, oh, if I don't do my ritual a certain way, then, you know, an orphan in Africa will die. And it's like, wow, that's amazing. I And I never knew that OCD does that to some people. And I don't know if that happens to everyone, but that is certainly something that surprised me when I heard that. Yeah, so there can be some really, that's such a great point. There can be some really kind of literal, contextual, completely linked circumstances that are feared when people mm -hmm. are struggling with some obsessional doubt or intrusive thoughts. But sometimes it can be completely unrelated. And sometimes the person even has awareness of it, like crossing this threshold. Yeah. Is that going to keep a stadium of people from imploding? I know that it doesn't, but I feel like if I don't, the distress of what if I'm wrong is so, so debilitating that they feel really imprisoned to their compulsions. So that's a really great point. And I would just add, I would just say, you know, that is one of those moments where you go, wow, these poor people, like, I, I just want to give them a hug and, and tell them it'll be okay. You know, it just, I can't imagine that. We like it's hugs. Pretty... We like hugs. Don't yeah. Yeah, yeah. Patrick gives good hugs. <laughs> just like too. my, just like my son, he he could hug me all day. That's um, true. So another thing, if I may uh, throw out there, is I feel like I didn't realize how deeply compulsory is that the word <laughs> it can get for some people. So I know we've had some guests on who have described doing their rituals so much that they are like literally crying and feeling tortured and just completely trapped inside of it, knowing that at a deep level that there's something wrong, but they're just so entrapped by it that it, it just, it completely encapsulates them, I guess. And that was another one that has really just sort of made me go, Oh, these poor, these poor people. So I know not everyone has these exact flavors of, of OCD, but I've heard a few of these where I just, my compassion goes up to those people. So. Yeah. So actually, you know, when we think about OCD, something that is good to differentiate is we can demonstrate or exhibit symptoms at a subclinical level where, you know, really within OCD, we're looking at a disordered level. Now, what does that mean? That means it gets in the way of your functioning 
in the way of your ability to really lean into your values and really live a life that is egocentric, meaning it's in sync with who you believe yourself and know yourself to be. When we're talking about OCD, the disorder, and you we're talking about some people exhibiting these compulsory behaviors, absolutely everyone with OCD at a disordered level is experiencing compulsory behaviors. Some may manifest in a more obvious way from the outside looking in, but absolutely anyone who has reached that disordered level is absolutely entrapped in the anguish that rises from this obsessive compulsive loop. So I'm glad you brought that up because certainly we can see as people might talk about doing a certain compulsion over and over for hours, not even being able to leave their house or the or a bathroom or whatnot, mm-hmm. that, it, that really strikes us. But there's often, and I know that listeners out there with OCD are going, oh, yes, girl. Like, I know often there's a ton of mental compulsions or things that we don't see or things that they haven't unearthed. And they are absolutely feeling the anguish. Anybody who has reached the level achievement unlocked, not the achievement we want absolutely is feeling that that distress and mm-hmm. so i love that you're having more compassion not to say you weren't before but absolutely just kind of growing in empathy and and having a better understanding for the fight that they're fighting i think is really helpful who has been your favorite guest or guests so far i mean i know they're all good but what kind of sticks out to you uh one guest that really blew me away was the Liz Tronson and Chris Tronson uh, appearance, partly because that story just was so gripping as somebody who, uh, you know, it's debatable, I guess, whether I, I deal with OCD. Nicole thinks I do. Still on the fence, everyone. That's fine. Didn't but what you I will say, say is, the as... other day, wait a minute, sorry, guys. Didn't you say the other day, like, oh, I'm coming to the awareness. You were right with OCD. Well, with certain things, maybe here and there, but. There's no shame, yeah. right, family? Remember, no, we have no, no, lots no. of it's compassion. Not, it's not about shame. It's <laughs> not about shame, obviously. Uh, but anyway, yeah, Chris and Liz Johnson, I think they were, it was so powerful of just just from a story perspective because it like the the amount of anguish that this poor guy went through and then the sort of the um the turnaround that occurred and the unbelievable um sort of not redemption but but healing i guess is the word that come from this was just really really beautiful i mean it was just an amazing story that really gripped me so that was probably my favorite guest just from it just being powerful to me and i think and i can't remember all your guests names but i think typically the guests that really uh get to me the most are the ones that are sharing some deep personal story something everybody can relate to struggle of, Mm -hmm. of any kind and it always, I always love listening to to those guests. The clinical stuff is great too, but you know, as somebody who isn't in the mental health field, it's definitely not as compelling for me as the stories. But 
you've been having a bunch of stories on lately and I have really gotten a lot out of that because it's just great to hear people overcoming their adversity and sharing with everybody and being vulnerable. Yeah. And it helps you feel you're not alone, whether you're on the fence about a diagnosis or not, like just understanding and also champion these warriors. Holy cow. Amazing, Mm -hmm. amazing people. Another thing that I would point out, so if y'all are new to us, you can go back. Last fall, I did an OCD-related disorder series, and part two of that was Chris and Liz Tronson, who Patrick's referencing right now. They talked about both body dysmorphic disorder as well as obsessive-compulsive disorder. And so BDD, which is short for body dysmorphic disorder, also a very, it's in the OCD related disorder category, very important for us to learn about. And I like that we got to also embrace the piece of OCD, although I don't wish it on Chris, I don't wish it on Liz, but what an empowering story. And really all of those different OCD related disorders, I think were eye opening for people too. And we just, we're literally grazing the surface, y'all. We talked, we zoomed in on five different OCD related disorders and that was really interesting. So can you tell me, in addition, because we've covered a little bit there with Chris and Liz on BDD, in addition to BDD, anything stick out for you in terms of the OCD-related disorders that we've talked about? If we have new fam that might want to go back and check out an episode or just something that kind of sticks out to you where you think, like, I had no idea. I really learned something there. Yeah, I mean, for one, I didn't realize that hoarding disorder is sort of an is it an offshoot or it's at least related to OCD? I would have never thought that. That was pretty interesting and eye-opening. Let's see what else. I think uh, when we started, I didn't even know there was such a thing as um, relationship OCD. Yeah. And that has been so fascinating because I think that is probably, if I had to guess, that's probably one of the most common OCD types that people deal with because everybody because relationships are messy and everybody's tends to have some relationships so I just feel like if you're this is just a gut thing but if a person was predisposed to OCD you're already in a messy relationship probably because you're a human being (laughs) it's a very human thing like How many of us can raise our hand and say, oh, I have the perfect relationship. Everything always goes great. I never worry about anything. No anxiety, no fear, no uh, questioning. I mean, no. I mean, let's be honest. I don't think a single human being can raise their hand to that. Well, and you know what I like about what you're saying is it's a great opportunity to think out loud about ROCAD isn't necessarily everything needing to be perfect. And you can have questioning and distress within the relationship and not be OCD. Absolutely. But when we start looking at the different types of ROCD and... If you guys are interested, again, if you're new to the community or if you're like, yeah, I remember that. That was a fun episode. Patrick and I actually did an ROCD episode way back in the day. I want to say it was episode six where we talked about ROCD. And so that has been illuminating 
last week we just had Brooke Miller on. She talked about ROCD. There are a number of people that have struggled with ROCD. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pull up a little bit of a fact sheet. And then I'm going to ask you one other question before we get into a little quick trivia. Who doesn't love trivia? I am I am terrible at trivia. So buckle up, everybody. <laughs> Lots of buzzers coming up. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I bet you'll do better than you think, just based on what right. you've said. I feel confident about it, Morris, although you might you might totally screw it up. That's true. I mean, we won't yeah. really be too certain here, would we? But what I would say <laughs> is one thing that you mentioned just a moment ago, if you're more likely to be or if you're already predisposed, and that made me kind of ding, 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 kind of thinking about inferential confusion. So something we've been diving into lately on the podcast is talking about, well, ERP is certainly the gold standard here in the U.S., outside of the U.S., and now emerging even within the U.S., we have inference-based CBT, also an evidence-based treatment for treating OCD. And so they talk about inferential confusion in terms of the mechanism. So you said, if I'm more predisposed for OCD anyway, I could see how, you know, our OCD would be an issue. Well, I think it kind of highlights this idea that there is some mechanism in place. And ICBT says, right on, brother, there is a mechanism in place called inferential confusion. You and I have talked a little bit about ICBT, your first thoughts and reflections as you've been learning more about it. And I would love to hear kind of your thoughts as you've, because you've really liked ICBT, what introductions we've had to it so far. So if you'd be willing, if you could share kind of what you have found interesting about that. Absolutely. I think the ICBT discussions that I've heard have been very relatable. I, I've dealt with anxiety uh, quite a bit in my past. It's pretty under control now for me, but I can really relate to the way of thinking through, because I think one of the things that got me through anxiety was really unpacking my fears and really understanding what the source of those fears were mm -hmm. and tackling those head on as much as possible. And so that just like ICBT is a method that just really ring true for me it's something that I can relate to because I feel like I have done similar exercises just unpacking my own beliefs and systems and and thoughts and unpacking how I came to uh the various triggers or beliefs that I I had if that makes sense so for me it just it was very relatable I think is the the simple way to put it. Yeah, it made and sense. I, and I also, I also, it makes sense. And you know what? ERP makes sense too. Mm -hmm. I don't have personal experience doing ERP because well, I've never been in a We do it all session. the time with Jack and me and you. Well, sure, sure. We do do it. Sure, I just mean, I just mean personally, right? Like it, I haven't personally gone to a therapist who does ERP and engaged in ERP as an adult, you know, right. that's just not a thing I've done. ERP makes sense to me too. And it's actually very fascinating, but I really like that the two of them approach the same issue in different ways. And I like hearing the alternatives as in addition to sort of like the gold standard, if that makes sense. And when I heard it, I, I really related to it. So yeah, I remember, so we've done 
tons of ERP with Jack, our oldest son, Mm -hmm. with me, even with Patrick. So he's been in the zone for sure. And and what was interesting is, I would say a month or so ago, Jack started, or maybe it was two months ago, started having frequent nightmares. He would wake up screaming like in panic, right? And he was, it was happening a couple times a week for a little bit there, mm-hmm. which was kind mm-hmm. of a new behavior. And it was definitely amplified and very loud because it fed into a lot of emerging OCD narratives for him. And so mm-hmm. I remember at the time, I, Patrick and I had just been learning more about ICBT. If you want to learn more about ICBT, you can go back and check out from last, I'm going to say it's December, a couple different mm-hmm. podcasts with Mike Hetty, who is one of many great consultants and practitioners working with ICBT that helped our family community get a rundown on what it is, what it isn't. And really a glance at what treatment looks like. And so with Jack going through all these nightmares, I decided, you know what, I'm going to look into this from like kind of this magician's trick standpoint of where can we spot that we kind of went from our five senses reality, even though he was in a dream state. But but we're talking about now that he's awake and kind of the panic that he's feeding into versus a magician's trick. And he happens to really like Zach King videos, which is a magician that does videos on YouTube, etc. And so I took it from an ICBT perspective. And Patrick and I laid with him for a bit just kind of as he was calming down. And the shift of recognizing Actually, yeah, I did get into the magician's trick. And then he was like all a chatter about different like illusions that are so cool, but he knows how they're done. It was such an empowering difference for him, like Mm -hmm. literally where we've done ERP and it's been helpful. It's really gotten us so far from where we were. And so mm-hmm. it's not an abandonment of ERP by any means, but it was really interesting to see how that diffused. It wasn't even a matter of him needing to lean into uncertainty and having that response prevention response versus like, I don't even need to get to response prevention. This is all fake. It's just right. And I right, remember right. Patrick being like, whoa, <laughs> that was different. Yeah, and And that is how I tackled a lot of my anxiety back in the day when I was really struggling with it same kind of thing same same mental exercises of really unpacking things so that is so cool yeah no and I and probably I would imagine everybody's different some people probably would respond to different treatments differently yeah but I feel like it's nice that we have this other approach that is totally different but also helpful totally it's so nice so nice to know that we have options and I think that is just the key because both options are great yes the ERP here in the states is the gold standard but you know I know because I like myself some jewelry right Patrick there's more than one kind of gold Okay, mm-hmm. so that's right. We it doesn't mean ICBT isn't. It's mm-hmm. it's different. That's all. It's different. So we got a couple options, and that's really good. So real quickly on our way out here, I'm just gonna give you a couple little trivia. Okay, hit me. All right. So in terms of numbers, how many people, adults, currently have OCD? 
that are diagnosed. Two in 300. Six in 1,000. One in 100. Or four in 100. Four in 100? No, not yet. One in 100 <laughs> is the answer. That is, oh. that is a good guess. One in 100 <laughs> that are diagnosed. That are diagnosed, okay? How about in kids? How many kids and teens, we'll include teens in this bracket, are currently diagnosed with OCD? One in 1,000. Two in 800, four in 500, or one in 200? One in 1,000. One in 200. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So only twice, only half as many as adults. I would have expected far less. But here's what's children. interesting. When we're looking at statistics, that's about twice as many kids and teens as the number of kids and teens that have diabetes. Wow. Yeah, and you think about kids with diabetes, that is a more well-known, like, wow. That's a com that's a common. It's common. Yeah. And this is twice as yeah. common. Okay. So for a lot of people, yeah. this might evidence itself between ages 10 to 12, but we also know that it can show up much, much earlier. Okay. Sure. True or false? Most kids live with their OCD symptoms for an average of two and a half years before getting help from a professional. True or false? Uh, uh, true. True. Yep. Yep. Okay. I was debating whether it was that or more. It was definitely not less. <laughs> yes. Okay. For uh. adults, most adults live with their OCD symptoms for an average of seven years before getting help from a professional. True or false? That sounds about right to me. Again, I feel like it could possibly be more. Okay, so you, you're going to go with true? I'm going to say true. I'm going to go with true. Okay, false. Get, it is okay. It is more. Any guesses? 10? Higher. 15? Higher. Sometimes. What? Sometimes. It's the actually average? An, it's actually an average of 14 to 17 years. People live with OCD symptoms and we're talking about diagnosable OCD symptoms. So at that disordered level, 14 to 17 years. Well, I knew that seven was probably low. But then again, you know, I knew that there was no way it was lower than seven. But but 14 years is a lot. I mean, years. when I look at my own life, for example, I can now knowing that my anxiety was really masquerading as anxiety, but was driven by OCD, I can tell you for myself alone, over 30 years, at least, because some of my youngest memories, probably even more than that, but I was at least 30 years. So yeah, makes a lot of sense. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, for sharing and doing a little bit of thank trivia you. with us. That was fun. Thank we're, you so much. Yeah, we're having Can't a whole to do it again. family time. Have a great day. Love you. Love you. Okay, so we did a little bit of trivia there at the end, courtesy of IOCDF's Facts About OCD, which you can find along with many other helpful fact sheets over at IOCDF.org. And thanks again to my beau Patrick. Oh, we have shared calendars because we all are pretty busy. <laughs> and if it's not on the calendar, it's not happening. In fact, sometimes it is on the calendar and it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. 
that's the rarity. But hey, it has, uh, can, probably will again happen. So a big thanks to him for letting me snatch up what little bit of free time he had to talk with us about OCD. My name is Luke. Yes, it is. And do you know what the five senses are? Do you Mm. see my pictures here? What is that a picture of? What's that? Ear. Ear. Ears are used for what? I hear a car. I hear a car. Yeah, so that would be hearing. That's one of your senses. What is this? A eye. That's an eye. What do you use your eyes for? I'm looking for the plane to see it in the sky. Wow, you're giving really good examples. How about this picture? Uh, tongue. Tongue. Ooh. What do we use our tongue for? <laughs> you're sticking out your tongue. <laughs> It's for like some food. For licking food, and that gives us the taste. Yeah, huh? and like you lick it soccer. Ooh, yeah, I like the sound effect too. Yeah, how about this? Hand. Hand, and we use our hand to uh touch something. Yes, to touch something. What about this guy right here? Nose. Ooh, everybody knows. Everybody knows what a nose is. I want to smell. You want to smell. What kind of things do you like to smell? I just smell ice cream. What what flavor of ice cream do you like? I like chocolate. Chocolate. Mm, I like the smell of chocolate, too. Mm -hmm. So those are our five senses. And today you earned some Skittles, some wild berry Skittles? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. How did you know they were Skittles? I don't know. Did they look like squares? No. Triangles? No. Octagons? (laughs) (laughs) crescents yeah they look like crescents you were like "Mm, must be a skittle (laughs) it looks a little like pink it looks pink what shape is it uh circles yeah does it have anything written on it no letter where is it what letter is on those little circles it's s and what is what sound does s make uh four Skittles. Skittles. Yeah. Yeah, can you, I want to check the original one. Oh, the original Skittles? These are the Wildberry Skittles, yeah. So you knew it wasn't the original, regular Skittle. Oops, original Skittles. I want to see it closer. Okay. It's original. Those are original. How do you know those are original? Those are just all red. Yeah, what's different about these Skittles than the Wildberry Skittles? Uh, it's, it's got pink as a roll like pink, and then original as orange. You're right! <laughs> so they have different colors. So you're using your five senses to be able to tell the difference. Yeah. I want to see the sour Skittles. Ooh, the sour Skittles. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Sour Skittles. We know our Skittles here, here don't we? <laughs> What's on those? I don't know. It's the sour dust, huh? Yeah, sour dust is on top of those Skittles. Yeah, so they look different. Now, what if I looked at these sour Skittles that have the original colors, and I said, Luke, these are the original Skittles. No. No? But they have the same colors. Oh, yeah. They have the same shape. Yeah. But these have the, the sour powder, huh? 
Uh-huh. So if I wasn't paying attention to that, what? I might mistake it for the regular Skittles, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, what does a sour Skittle taste like? Does it taste the same as a regular Skittle? This is sour. That is sour. So it tastes different. So we have another uh-huh. sense that tells us it tastes sour. <laughs> Although we really like sour uh-huh. candy over here, so it's not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I have a question for you. What? What is a family? Uh, my mom and dad. Yeah. Anybody else in your family? <laughs> yes. Who? I'm, I'm my Jack and Emma's my sister and my brother. Oh, yeah. You have a sister and brother, Emma and Jack. That's right. And what makes us all a family? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know. It is kind of a big concept. Uh, yeah. But we have fun together. What do we like to do as a family? What's one of our favorite things to do? My family? Yeah, I like trips. Where do we go on trips to? No, no. Do we ever fight? Do you and Emma fight? We can't. We can't. <laughs> well, that we'll see. And is it okay if we get mad at each other? Uh-uh. No, we're allowed to get mad at each other. It's just what we do with our mad feelings. Yeah. You're autistic. Did you know that? Uh-huh. I am autistic. What does it mean to be autistic? Um. <laughs> does being autistic mean you have an awesome brain? Uh, yes. Yeah? What are some of the things your awesome brain likes to do? I don't know. Do you like to do puzzles? Yeah. Do you like doing monkey bars? Yeah. Do you like playing games? Yeah. Like cuddles? Yeah, I like it. Yes, you do. What's one of the things your brain doesn't like? Uh, I don't want to be in trouble. Yeah? Did you know you're a good boy? I am a good boy. Yes. Is there anything you want people to know about being autistic? Um, uh, no. No? Are you a happy boy? Yeah. Hey, thank you for talking with me. Do you like talking with me? Uh, you are happy. I am happy. And what are you? What do you feel? (laughs) Um, I don't know. That's fair. Fair? Yeah, that means that's okay. Sometimes we don't know. Yeah. You, you look pretty happy, though. Mm-hmm. I don't like to eat sour skills. Those are yucky. Gotcha. Noted. All right, love you. Bye. Nice to meet ya. <laughs> Cutie. Oh, my little ukulele. Love that boy. So what did we learn? Luke was talking about Skittles. He earned Wildberry Skittles at school, just to give the fans some context here. And he was talking about, I'm looking at these Skittles and I can tell they're not original. And for that matter, sour and original. If you all are aficionados on Skittles like we are here at the Morris fam, they have the same colors, the original colors. And yet... There's one distinct difference, that sour, powdery substance that gives it that bite, that tart. And even in a picture, you can spot something here is not like the other. 
And that's just using our five senses reality. And that's using it at a very young level. We can tell the difference between original Skittles and Sour Skittles. We can tell the difference between a lot of things. And if we are inferentially confused, we might stop trusting that we can tell the difference between any of the Skittles and start fearing the potential and possible realities of, well, the sky's the limit. So I love that Luke was able to talk with us a little bit in a really concrete way, but frankly, sometimes concrete ways are the most tangible, most easy to digest ways about why it's important to trust our five senses reality. You know, even if he didn't spot the sour dust, I guarantee you, if he popped a sour skit on his mouth thinking it was an original, we would have seen a reaction. Our present common sense five sense reality is powerful. And yet, inferential confusion will hijack that. So really, ICBT is a little bit of a story about learning to trust yourself again. Re-embrace the genius, the hubris you already have and lean into the truth of the matter. Because if I hand you two red Skittles and one is covered with some kind of dust, whether you know what a sour Skittle is or not, one of these things is not like the other. And from that standpoint, ICBT feels like a real breath of fresh air. Because not only is there a mechanism that is causing, escalating, impacting OCD, but there's a mechanism for reducing it, for resolving inferential confusion. For practicing some alternative storytelling, because gosh, isn't our brain good at going into that obsessional doubt. Luke talked a little bit about his autism. We are very pro-neurodiversity here, and I have to say I'm the minority in terms of neurodiversity, and I'm okay with it. I'm actually, dare I say, a little jealous. I got some amazing brains surrounding me. And that's not to say mine's all that bad. But as we get ready to draw to a close, I'm going to bring it home with my boy, Jack. Jack was on one of our very first episodes, and he is one of my inspirations for why I do what I do. I have OCD as well. I've been clear about that, hopefully. (laughs) But in the midst of fighting my OCD, even when I feel really triggered by it, I remember Jack doesn't know it any other way. He knows he has OCD. He knows we fight it. He knows it doesn't define us. And in that way, my little nine-year-old inspires me. Jack is also autistic. He is what used to be considered more of an Asperger's profile. And uh, I don't know. I'm just thrown out there. I could be wrong, but my guess is there will be a return because the autistic community and Aspie community really identify and jive with what that means. It gets them. They feel seen. They're like, yeah, I'm not alone. But as of the last DSM-5 update, Asperger's is a thing of the past, I guess. A lot of people in the autistic community that identify as Asperger's still claim it. And even when diagnosed, which we went through his diagnostic process well after that term was expired, it's still classified as Asperger's type. And Jack, he's amazing. And he knows that he and Luke are both autistic. And he knows that he and Luke couldn't be more different. 
And yet, as you'll hear him share, little bit alike. So let's join Jack because he's going to talk about what it's like for him fighting OCD and being autistic to the extent that it makes sense for him right now. And you know what? I'm here for it because I am his biggest cheerleader. Well, next to his dad. And we, we couldn't be more proud. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey, I have a question for you. What? Can I ask you some quick questions about something for my podcast? Okay. okay. What does autism mean to you? Uh, autism means memory. Tell me more. What about memory? So, like, when I was watching episode seven, I, like, remembered everything. Episode seven of? Star Wars. Yeah, I, like, remembered everything because I seen the Lego version. Mm-hmm. Lego version was pretty true to canon. <laughs> it was very close. Yes, we watched Star Wars seven the other night episode seven, and you knew everything that was going to happen and more detail than Daddy or I knew about it. Yeah. And you had never seen it before. It was quite amazing. Yeah, because of the Lego version. Thanks, Lego. Thanks, Lego. And so your autistic brain remembers things pretty easily, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But certain things are harder to remember, right? Yeah. Like, where did I put my shoes? Yeah. I think it would be harder to keep track of that kind of stuff. But yeah. the anthology of Star Wars, we got it. Okay. So what's one of the coolest things about having an autistic brain? What do you think? Uh, Remembering easily and having a sharp, the sharp eagle eye. Because mm. people say I have the sharp eagle eye. Like it. You do have a pretty sharp eagle eye, if I do say so myself. Yeah. Anything else you really like about your brain? Uh, so I like my brain because it also needs to fight OCD, which is, of course, the name of this podcast. Ooh, yeah, your brain does like to fight OCD. Also, what do you think is one of the biggest challenges for you in your brain? Uh, to see if I can get a new Lego haul. It's a challenge. Ooh, that's one of your biggest challenges? Yeah, one of my biggest challenges. One of the biggest challenges is when we really want something, we can really think about it a lot, and it's hard to think about we need to plan on to get there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right now, we are way into Legos, right? Yeah. Anything else that gets tricky for your brain? Uh, You get distracted sometimes? Eh, sort of. I mean, my medicine is helping. Your medicine helps you to not get as distracted, but sometimes your brain gets distracted. Yeah. Anything else that you find challenging? Uh, basically, to find out if I have enough money to get a new Lego set. (laughs) And back to the Lego set, yeah. Let me ask you this. Both you and Luke are autistic. You both have autistic brains. Are your brains similar or different? I think they're sort of different. How so? Because Luki's autistic brain is more sensitive, and mine is more about, like, memory. Ah, I think you can get sensitive, too, sometimes. But I think you are right that they're different, right? Yeah. And so what do you think one of the cool things about Luke's brain is? Uh, that he is my brother. (laughs) Yes, that's pretty awesome. 
What kind of skills does he have that are different than your skills? What do you think? Uh, he's good at basketball. And any other sports? Uh, uh bowling. Bowling and gymnastics. Yeah, he, gymnastics. Won, he won bowling the other day at school, huh? Yeah, and he got the piece of candy in the tournament. If he lost twice, then he would have been out of the whole game. And he won the whole thing? Yeah, and he won against all of his students, and he got one piece of candy. Oh, I bet he was excited. Yeah. Were you proud of him? Yeah, I was proud because that was actually impressive. I guess he was practicing on those, like, McDonald's game machines at our local McDonald's. Oh, to be specific, I love it. Yeah. Hey, you said he, he's more sensitive than you. Can you explain what you meant? Uh, so, like, he's sensitive about Emma because... For some reason, they like to have arguments a lot. <laughs> yeah, they're frenemies. They're best friends and enemies, right? They get yeah. they get in arguments with each other. Yeah. Is he sensitive about anything else? Uh, basically about him winning stuff. He has a really hard time if he doesn't win, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to tell everybody what you want people to know and learn about autism, what do you want people to know about it? Uh, so basically, like, Luke has, like, a different age from me. Uh-huh. A different age, a different brain. A different brain and... Different positives, different struggles. Yeah, and uh, a different lego theme interest he was like interested into lego classic because he is a lego classic set okay and as you can see we get a lot of meaning out of legos yeah so different yeah but but we do have some things in common like luke and me have legos yeah i like it we are different and we are alike yeah and that's important huh yeah those are part of the things that make each of you special okay so I have a question for you. This is a fun bonus question. OCD Family Podcast, that's my podcast. The largest listening audience that I have is in the United States, followed by Canada and the UK. They're really close for second place. But guess which country has the next biggest audience that listens to mommy talk? Hmm. A, Brazil, B, Pakistan, C, Finland, D, Kenya, E, Australia. Uh, I'm going to guess, uh, probably, hang on, Brazil? Brazil? I like it. It's not Brazil. It's actually Pakistan. Wasn't that awesome? Oh my goodness. We have a really wonderful OCD family tree there in Pakistan, but you want to know what's also really cool? What? All of these countries have listeners that tune in i know in brazil my goodness you have a so much for a big audience oh a big audience and it's growing yeah, and it's growing it's gonna go all over the whole world it is and you know why you know why we're growing because you're talking about ocd and not that much people know about ocd amen I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself. People need to know that they're not alone, huh? Yeah. Thanks, buddy. I like that so much. You're on top of it. Yeah. And thank you, OCD family community, for being here with us. Bye, everybody. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode for the podcast today. I hope you liked it, too, you guys. 
Thank you, Jack. See you in the next episode. Thank you for joining me and our OCD family community. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please like and subscribe to the OCD Family Podcast wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Did you find this content helpful? Please consider leaving a review. The more people that know they're not alone, the better. For more information regarding today's podcast, please visit ocdfamilypodcast.com and remember to join the email list while you're there. It will provide you with the most up-to-date information, resources, and the demo on the family chatter. Oh yeah, nothing says family like a family affair with some MJ, to be fair. That's right, I went there. And you can too at ocdfamilypodcast.com.